So it's still more orderly today, even though there's three times as many kids leaving. So I don't, I, I don't understand that. So we're up to uh, the second chapter of Jonah. Uh, Jonah's been thrown overboard, um, and the, the focus has been the last several weeks really on the ship and the sailors, and now uh, it's on uh, Jonah and uh, this great psalm of repentance uh, that Jonah writes uh, from the belly of the fish. So, uh, But before I read that, uh, let me pray, and we'll uh, jump in. Lord, we come to you today thanking you that... Uh, you pursue us to the deepest place, the darkest place, uh, the place uh, even uh, where death resides. You go there for us, just as you went there for Jonah. And so I pray that would encourage our hearts today. I pray that that would, would help us, renew us, stir us. Lord, we confess that grace and mercy is common to us, and so common, in fact, that um, uh, perhaps it sparks little joy or life in us. So we pray today that you would change that, that you would renew us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So Jonah 1.17 uh, to chapter 2, verse 10. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said... I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Uh, so a, a, a couple of things uh, to think about here as, as we come to this text. Um, one is, um, one of the things that, we, we, that you have to see that's going on here, um, and something that we're probably familiar with, is uh, the necessity for many of God's people to hit rock bottom. You know, we don't like to think about that very much. We don't like to talk about that very much. Uh, but one of the things, Luke, you can put my notes up there, if you, if you were to pay attention kind of to the flow of the narrative so far, God calls Jonah, and Jonah goes down to Joppa. He goes down to a ship. He goes down to the inner part of the ship. And now he is uh, really down at the bottom of the ocean being swallowed by a fish. And that's all of the mercy of God. 
one of the things that you have to see, God would not be merciful to Jonah if he allowed Jonah's life to go without disruption. If Jonah is to go on about his business and to live uh, in his rebellion as if there were no issues, no, no things that would come his way, then would God be merciful? Now, I, I, I wanna, I'm going to tell you something that, that's hard, but true, I think, and that's this. You know, we, many of us love people who um, need to get to rock bottom, and probably we've thought a million times, well, they've hit rock bottom, and so the only place to go is up, and yet they continue to sink further. Our prayers for them often is that God would spare them pain and suffering, and I, my pastoral counsel to you today is to stop that prayer and to become a little more desperate and therefore a little more realistic in your prayer that God would do what it takes. Now, you know, I've had conversations with people I love in my very own family where I have told them, you know, I pray for you every day. They're like, thanks. And what I pray for you every day is that you'll be miserable until you repent. <laughs> don't do that. And my response is, well, if you don't believe there's somebody on the other end of the line, why do you care? Pass the potatoes. So, so the, so the, <laughs> so the, so the thing is, um, this is a very sobering and hard thing, but this, this text is very clarifying, and it's clarifying in the sense that uh, all this trouble that Jonah's in uh, is trouble from God. Jonah thinks he's in control. He thinks he's the one who's calling the shots in his life, and at every place, God intervenes. And so it is profound for us to see that the text begins with the Lord appointed. The Lord appointed. What a great, what a great thing for us to see. Now, one of the things that I want you to understand about this is that there is a deep spiritual truth and a deep spiritual necessity for you and I to come to grips with the fact that we are sinners. And I know that's not a, a very popular thing to say, that not only are we in rebellion against God, but our rebellion against God, our willingness and desire to live independent of him actually puts us in a place not where we are under God's displeasure, but we aren't even able to do anything about it. Which is hard for us, isn't it? Uh, as, as Joe mentioned uh, earlier, that there's a page from a book that I want to show you. Uh, this is from one of my doctoral uh, courses, one of my professors. And I know this is stupid and not cool, and the technology here is embarrassing and all that stuff. But as a 61-year-old man, I just think it's cool that I can take my book and stick it on what I think is a copier, and it doesn't make a copy. It sends the image to that computer back there. We call it a copier, but it's a sender of images, right? I mean, 
I just think that is, stop it, Oberlies, you're mocking me over there. I see that. But I just think, I just think that is so amazing, right? So, so here's, here's why I put this up here. I, uh, this page, ignore all the words on the left, but the page on the right is uh, my guide to ministry. This is, if you want to know what goes on in my mind theologically about how God works, that graphic right there is how I think God works. That's how I think he operates on people. Um, and I would say to you today, if you are cold, hardened, bitter, judgmental, self-righteous, heart struggling to see the goodness and the love of God today, here's where you begin. You see, what, what Dr. Loveless says is, as he studied the history of the church, that before there's a renewal in people's lives, there are preconditions for renewal, and that, that's a preparation, again, for us to hear the gospel. And there are two primary components of that. First, an awareness of the holiness of God, that we are overwhelmed by his justice and his love, and secondarily, we are awareness of the depth of our sin in our own life and in our community, right? Now, you may think, okay, I get that in my own life, but what about in my community? When Isaiah sees the holiness of God, what does he say? I live among a people of unclean lips, right? He's not just seeing his own sin. He certainly sees that, but he also sees the sin of his community. He sees the fact that we're all in this. We've all been affected by sin, and, 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 and it just makes sense. You know, you, you will not come to grips, I will not come to grips with the cross of Christ. You, you and I will not come to grips with the, the beauty of the grace of God. You and I will not come to grips with the atoning uh, grace that is ours in Jesus Christ unless we need it. Nobody gets thrown a... Um, a, a a life buoy or something like that, uh, and because they're, they're drowning, and then comes out of the water and says, I didn't really need that. If you see yourself as drowning, if you see yourself as having no hope, if you see yourself as utterly unable to save yourself, and a hand extends to save you, you will be moved, you'll be changed, you'll be reoriented in the way you think about your life and your, the, 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 the grace of God suddenly becomes not just a doctrine or not just a thing we sing about in church, but it is the very life you live and that without it, you're dead. So here's, here's the thing, here's the thing. What Jonah is experiencing is as God takes him to the, literally to the bottom of the sea, he is learning, he is experiencing what it's like to be loved and what it's like to have to come face to face with his sin, right? Next slide. So, uh, and, and in all of this, we have to see the sovereign power of God exercised in pursuing him to draw him back to himself. Now, let me just say something really quick here that, that, we, that we see at, at the very beginning of this passage, the Lord appointed a fish, and then at the end of the passage, he spoke to the fish. Now, 
As I mentioned when we, we began this series, everybody's mesmerized by the fish, but Jonah doesn't give us very much information about the fish, does he? God appoints a fish, God speaks to the fish. The fish does what God wants him to do. And you may live in a, you may live in a world where that's impossible. I'm sad for you if that's the world you live in. Not because I'm like, I believe there are garden gnomes or because I believe there are elves or because I believe there are those sorts of things. No, because I believe in a God who loves us enough that he will bend the normal way things work to come get us. That he will suspend or overrule the way things normally work to save us. And as I've said before, you know, as crazy it is for a fish to swallow somebody and God to keep that man alive in the belly of that fish for three days, I got one that's better for you, that's even crazier, that a man died and he walked out of his tomb three days later. Maybe you don't want to believe this. Well, let me change that. Maybe you don't believe it because it just seems so far-fetched. But don't you want to live in a world where a God would love you so much that he would do that? Don't you want to live in a world where there's a God who is more powerful than death? Don't you want to live in a world where, where this God might, might, as crazy as it sounds, appoints a fish to swallow a man to save him? I want to live in a world like that because I need God to love me enough to do whatever it takes to save me. So God does this. He, one of the kind of subtexts of this whole book is the way God bends nature to get Jonah's attention because not only does he appoint a fish to swallow him and then to vomit him, uh, which let's... What, if you were writing the story, wouldn't you want to give some more details about what life in the stomach is like or what he saw or whatever? Anyway, Marvel Comics. But, uh, but God, God does this a lot. In chapter 4, after Jonah preaches and he goes outside of town, it says, The Lord provided, just as he provided a fish, a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head. If you're a bald man, you know how important this is. And to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God again provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching each wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. See, all of this stuff here that we see about the fish and all of that is God's purpose, God's appointed ways of where he is coming after Jonah, where he's pursuing him. So God will bend nature and do these things, not just to teach Jonah, but to save him, to catch him, to, to wake him up to the powerful grace that, that, that God is exercising in him. And so this fish saves Jonah. It is the very mercy of God. It is the very grace of God. Probably not the way we would want to be saved. Probably not the way Jonah wanted to be saved. In fact, I don't think Jonah wanted to be saved. I think he wanted to die, as he says here, just because he got hot. It would be better for me to die than to live. But God won't let him die. 
And so here he is in the belly of the fish, left alone between him, it's just him and his God and his thoughts. And as he comes to grips with how he has rebelled, how he has turned his back on the God who called him, the God who empowered him, the God who gave him such a a, a powerful and successful ministry, here he is, he comes to grips with the fact that he has had to sink so low for God to reach out and save him. You see, what Jonah recognizes here as he, as he very poetically talks to us and speaks to us is, is that God had to take him to the lowest place for him to come to grips with the grace and the mercy of God. Next slide, please, Luke. One of the things that we don't think about uh, very often is this is how God changes us and reorients us. We live in a culture and we live... Uh, in, in a way that we think that the pathway to change is through information, and information is important. But the gospel is more than information. The work of Jesus Christ is more than information. Uh, it is passion. It is, it is desire. It is the heart of God poured out for his people in grace and love, and not only forgiving them of their sin when we see and we understand how great that sin is, but continuing to strive to pursue us. Because here's the thing that you have to see about Jonah. Jonah is going to come to grips here. He, he, I mean, what a profound prayer, right? He, he calls out to the Lord. He, he, he talks about turning to his holy temple. He sees all the things that are going there. But at the end, he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. He comes down to the place where he understands that his very life, his very hope is rooted into this, in this God of grace. And that's this, probably his first sane moment in, in the whole time uh, that we've been looking at him. For many of us, the gospel, the grace of God, uh, is not powerful to us because we place ourselves, we insulate ourselves, we don't want to allow ourselves to be placed in a position of deep darkness, do we? We want to stay away from that. We, suffering could never be something that would be good. And yet God in his grace and his mercy chastises the ones he loves. So it is a, it's, a, it, it, it's such, it, it, Jonah has to come to grips with the fact that his resume, that his gifts, that his talents, don't matter when he, in rebellion against his God, is running and his God has pursued him. And so he prays, he recognizes, he cries out to God, and in the end, he has to settle on the fact that salvation belongs to God. It's not even his to manage. It's not even his to go and get. God must give it to him. Now, one thing that's really interesting about this text, as you'll notice, I mean, we could talk about the seaweeds being wrapped around his head and all all of that. But you'll notice that twice, once in verse 4, he says he looks upon his holy temple, right? Uh, And then, uh, where's the other place? There's, oh yeah, in verse 7, it says he looks to his holy temple. 
Now, why is, why is Jonah saying that? Why is he talking about the temple? Why is he talking about looking there? Is that because he remembers Jerusalem, because he, any of that? No, the, the temple is the place where sacrifice is made. The temple is the place where the mercy seat, you know, the Ark of the Covenant sits, and it gets sprinkled with blood. That is where atonement is made. What Jonah is doing is he turns to the temple, and the way that he can understand is, I am turning to the place where I understand that, God, you must make atonement for my sins. Someone else, something else, must, must die so that I might live. And as he comes to grips with that, he is, uh, as we will see, he is renewed and restored, at least temporarily, to begin a life of obedience and following after what it is that God has called him to do. But he had to come to that place where he had to recognize and, and value the atoning work of Christ for him. Jesus said once that, that, that he who uh, has been forgiven much loves much. And that is the, is the nub of the problem here. Jonah didn't think he needed to be forgiven much. Jonah thought he could go and do what he wanted. Jonah thought he could disagree with God and still get away with it and still enjoy the, 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 kind of the, the blessing. But God is blessing him with something even richer. He is taking him to a dark place so that he can finally come to grips with the fact that salvation belongs to God and that his only hope is there. That is why many of us are cold, that's why many of us are uh, turned in on ourselves. That's why many of us are self-righteous is because we, have not, we, don't, we don't think of ourselves as needy sinners. We sing that hymn, Amazing Grace, and it is so everywhere that we forget the awful place that God had to take John Newton to change him, to renew him to turn him around so that, that Newton could say, this saved a wretch. We don't like that word, do we? Like me. If someone were to come to you and say, I'm grateful today because I'm a wretch, but God loves this wretch, don't you dare say to them, don't be so hard on yourself, right? Now, this isn't where we just sit around with our, our noses and our navel and we think we're all this just terrible Eeyores and that sort of thing. But what it does is you'll, the joy of sins forgiven is going to be directly proportioned to the fact that you believe you've been forgiven. And your effectiveness in ministry and bearing witness to the cross of Christ is going to be rooted in the, in, in the reality of your appreciation for what God has done for you. This is so hard to talk about because what I'm trying to help you understand is something that you, will never, you and I will never naturally understand, that only the Spirit of God shows us in the deep recesses of our hearts. When we're alone, as Jonah is, do you see those cold words? Do you see that judgmental attitude? Do you see that lust? Do you see that envy? I died for that. I am a hard-hearted person, a cold person, uh, and if left to my own devices, I could turn into a machine. 
and I'll, I'll tell you how that works for me, is uh, I'm not nearly as machine-like now in my 60s as I was in my 20s, uh, but um, I got, when, when Marty and I got married, I thought that the reason why she married me is because I had it together, she didn't, and that if she lived with me long enough, I would teach her how to get it together. Because, and the, and the reason why she needed to get it together is because two things. One, she forgets things, which is the unpardonable sin. Don't ever forget anything. And secondly, secondly, she's not on time, which is the unpardonable sin to the 10th power. Um, the first Sunday, the Lord's Day, a day of rest and joy, that we were together when we were living in our apartment in Jackson, getting ready to go to church. This is a terribly embarrassing story. She's not as, she shouldn't be embarrassed about this. I'm embarrassed. She had to finish dressing herself to church in the front seat of the car because her husband was not gonna be late to church and was backing the car out of the parking lot when she ran down the steps, not fully dressed, to jump in the car with me to get to church. That was not her problem, that's my problem. I've often said this, she would say to me, I'll be ready to go in five minutes. I would take the timer on my watch, set it for five minutes, set it on the counter and walk out of the room. That's, how, that's left to my own devices, I can, I can be a hard man. I've told this story before, um, bear with me. Uh, when we were living in our little apartment in Jackson, uh, we were very poor seminary students. She was getting ready to go to her job. We were boil she was boiling some eggs on the stove. We were going to make egg salad because, you know, the eggs were cheap for lunch. She said as she walks out the door, she had to get to work before my class started. She said, before you go to class, turn the eggs off. Sweetie, you're the one who forgets. I never forget. At 10.30, at break, I was struck with the thought I didn't turn the eggs off. So I panic, I run to our apartment, I open the door to the apartment, and the door is the furthest way, uh, part of the apartment away from the kitchen. And when I opened the door, there was a piece of egg laying at the foot of the door. And I can't describe to you, I don't know what the belly of a fish smells like, <laughs> but I can tell you what eggs that have cooked the water away and have exploded on high on a, on a stove smells like. Now, now, a normal person thinks, praise God, I didn't burn the apartment down. But I'm thinking, is there a way I can clean this up before she gets here for lunch, and she'll never know this happened. <laughs> because what do you do when you sin? You cover it up. You manage it. You don't want anybody to see this, because you might have to humble yourself. So I'm, one of the things I'm not good at is cleaning. I don't understand how to do that. And so I started cleaning, and I realized after five minutes, you know what? I'm stuck. 
I can't, I can't get this cleaned up. What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to stride over to the seminary library. I'm going to go up to her office, and I'm going to have to tell her what I did. So I went, and I said, are you having a good day? <laughs> yeah, she always has a good day. She, she's, you know, the happiest person I know. And I said, well, let me tell you about the eggs. And before I got finished, she said, I forgive you, and I'll help you clean it up when I get off for lunch. Now, um, People get married for all sorts of reasons. All sorts of reasons. And pick their spouses for all sorts of reasons. And, and there are a million of them. And, uh, but that's why God appointed me to be married to her. Because I don't understand grace. I preach about it, I talk about it, but I don't understand it until I am exposed for who I am and I see what it costs and the value of forgiveness. Jonah is gonna be much more effective now as a preacher because he understands the nature of the God with whom he has to do. He's not going to get it perfectly, as we'll see, but right here at the end of this text, he understands the mercy of God in a way that he's never understood it before. Uh, last, last slide. Um, St. Augustine said that there's no saint without a past and no sinner without a future. That is such good news for us today, that our God loves us enough that he will pursue the darkest, hardest of us to the deepest, darkest place. That even death itself will not repel Jesus from come and coming and snatching us from that. Listen, uh, you and I may uh, put on a show, you and I may think we are a certain kind of person or we, we may establish our righteousness in a million different ways. God's having none of it. And that's the best thing he could do for us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And he, in his grace and in his sovereignty, comes for us in our deepest, darkest place. That's our trust. That's our hope. Shall we pray? Lord, thanks today for this story. Thanks for the man with the seaweed wrapped around his head, for the smells and the experience of what it was like to be inside that fish and to come to grips with the fact that uh, his sin had placed him there, but his sin had not canceled out your grace. Lord, I, I pray today uh, for those of us who would uh, who lack joy 
that you would give us the experience of the joy of sins forgiven. Lord, I pray today for those of us who lack love would come to grips with the fact that one who has been forgiven much loves much. Jesus, would, would you show us the cross? Would you turn our attention, as, as Jonah turned to the temple to be reminded of the blood on the mercy seat, would, would you turn us uh, to the cross to see the power of atoning love, atoning grace for us, and that that would renew us and move us in joy into your mission? Would you do that? Would you pursue those that we love? Uh, would you do what it takes uh, to draw uh, your people to yourself? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's use this Lutheran prayer that's uh, uh, published in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens uh, behind me. Pray with me. I am a poor sinner. I confess before you my God and Creator, that I have grievously sinned against you in many ways, not only by gross outward sins, but much more through inward natural blindness, unbelief, doubts, despondency, impatience, pride, covetousness, secret envy, hatred, malice, and other sinful affections which you see in me, my Lord and God, and which, alas, I cannot always see in myself. I repent of these and cry to you for your mercy through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christians, hear the good news. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us.